Amen. If you will take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to the letter of 1 John. 1 John, we continue our series here in this tremendous letter to the churches. As the Apostle John is writing to the churches, we are in chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 11. 7 to 11. I titled this message, Living in the Light. Living in the Light. Because John's concern is that the believers who are following the Lord Jesus Christ and have, have come to know him, have, have received salvation, that they might walk worthy before the Lord. And they might walk living in that light, the light of the word of God, the light of Jesus Christ. But sadly... Uh, uh, many just, uh, though they were saved, they know they were going to heaven, and they had that assurance, uh, they still allow that old nature to rise up and get a hold of them, and we've, we've all been there. And he's going to focus upon one aspect of the Christian walk here. But let's look together, verses 7 and 8. Let's read that. John writes, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. So he's not writing... First he says, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but this is an old one. In other words, I'm reminding you of an old one which... You have had from the beginning. Now, some Bible scholars believe that, that John, when he's talking about an old commandment, he's talking about uh, back in, in the uh, Old Testament when, you know, the, uh, God said, You shall love the Lord thy God and with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Leviticus seventeen, uh, Leviticus nineteen eighteen, you shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So some think that that, that is what John's referring to, the Old Testament commandment. But others believe that John is actually talking about. That and and that that word old uh, that that we see there, it's it's not uh, it doesn't mean like ancient. It doesn't have that in in the Greek here. It doesn't mean an an ancient old, but it, it just means uh, that it's it's been around for a while. But it 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 could have been not too long ago when this thing came about. And ex exactly what happened here is uh, John is basically saying to the believers here, he's saying, I'm talking about the old commandment that Jesus gave, that the Lord Jesus gave. Turn to John 13 with me real quick. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, 34. And here, 
the Lord Jesus speaks to his, his disciples about this commandment. Now, basically, Jesus is bringing up an old commandment that is found in the Old Testament. But he calls this one, he's sharing a new one. Verse 34, a new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, this is what I believe, along with some of the others who take this view, that when John is saying... Um, I'm speaking of, of an old commandment that you received from the beginning. Uh, I believe he, John's referring to when he says that beginning, it's the beginning of when those believers came to know Christ, when they first heard the gospel. And when they heard the gospel from the apostle John and the other apostles, uh, part of that, that message was the love of Christ and the how much... Christ loved them by going to the cross. And so at, at, at the, the moment of their conversion and hearing the gospel message and then, uh, and then the, the early truths and doctrines that were presented to them, uh, it would be this uh, one to love one another. And Jesus called it a new commandment. And notice he said, uh, a new commandment I give you, love one another. But see, here's the difference. It just doesn't say, like the Old Testament, love one another. Because now Jesus brings himself into the picture. And he says, I want you to love one another even as I have what? Loved you. That I have loved you. And that puts things in a whole new perspective. This, that's why this is a whole new commandment. Because Jesus basically is saying, I'm your example. So do you want to know what love is? What love I want you to love your, your brothers and sisters in Christ with, it's the love that you saw there. That love that, was on, that put Jesus on Calvary. It died for the worst of sinners. And I have to love you that way. And you have to love me that way if, in Christ. And so that's what John I believe is speaking of when he speaks of in the beginning. So if you'll go back with me now to first John, if you we gain that understanding, okay, back to first John chapter two, verse seven, he said again, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning, the old commandment which is the word which you have heard. And now he actually takes that old commandment and yet he's going to call it a new commandment. Verse 8, on the other hand, it sounds like he's contradictory. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him, Christ, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So here, John begins to uh, unfold this, uh, this love, this commandment to love one another. 
but he, he's bringing it as a new commandment uh, to, uh, to their understanding, which means a new perspective of, of what Jesus said of that old commandment. You know how somebody would take a song, you know, would take an old song, a musician, and then the, the way it was originally written, you know, uh, and everybody knew it that way, but then they would take the song and, and kind of rearrange it, make it their own, and make it more updated, and, and rewrite an old song. But it's the old songs, the old lyrics, but it's, it's in a different way. That's kind of what John is, is doing with the commandment to love one another. But John is now going to, and, and notice he, he's going, he, he brings up darkness and light, the end of verse 8. Darkness and light. Speaking of this, this love, this love is true in Christ, and it's in you. You have this love. We all have this love as believers in Christ because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying that there's a process taking place that when after Jesus came, who he called himself the light of the world, he came into the world and he was shown his light in the darkness of this world, in the sin. And that's suddenly we see that that light once Jesus uh, died and rose from the dead and the gospel was taken to the four corners of the earth. What happened? Light started going into the darkness all over the world, all over the nations. And suddenly you see believers here, believers there, churches being raised up. And this light, he's talking about this light here uh, that would continue and it, and it would is causing the darkness to pass away and how wonderful to know that this darkness is one day going to be eradicated it's going to be gone permanently there will be no darkness when jesus returns and and we reign with him but now we come to verses 10 and 11 look at verse 10 with me Actually, uh, let's, let's go to verse 9. Look at verse 9. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. He's in the darkness until now. What a statement. What a statement. Now... There are those that, some think that, well, he, John is talking about saved and unsaved people. But he's not. What's he talking about here? He's talking about family relationships. Okay? Notice he says, and he, can, he says it throughout, he, he says, the one who loves, uh, one who hates his brother... He uses the word brother over and over again. So he's talking about the family of God and one brother having hatred for another brother or a sister in Christ having hatred for another sister in Christ. He's, this is a family matter he's talking about. Even though we see the word darkness, you go, whoa, when you see darkness, you think of the unsaved right away. But but he's actually pointing out that 
Christian, you may be walking in darkness, even though you're saved, and you claim that you are walking with the Lord, you're walking in his light, and you, you, we, you know, we tend to go through the motions and, and we can look like we are just uh, living for the Lord and pleasing him. But w- suddenly there may be something in our life, an attitude, which is buried in there and we haven't let go of it. We haven't dealt with it. And it has, and it could be about one other person that we have held a grudge against or held bitterness against for something they did or maybe something they didn't do, but we got jealous or whatever the case. He's talking about family matters here, but what does he say here? He says, he says, the one who says he is in the light. So this is about us as believers going around saying, yeah, I'm, I'm walking in the light. I'm, I'm having my devotions every day and I'm, I'm spending my quiet time with the Lord. And, and it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm just growing. It comes out of our mouth. But yet, G, John is, begins talking about the heart. Yeah, out of the mouth it may sound good, but he says, yet, if this person hates his brother, he is in darkness until now, walking in darkness. Now again, uh, question, can a believer, can you and I walk in darkness? Is that possible? Because suddenly we think, well, only unbelievers walk in darkness. No. Anytime I am not walking in the spirit, anytime I am walking with unconfessed sin in my life, at that moment, I'm, I step out of the light of fellowship with the Lord Jesus, fellowship with my heavenly Father, uh, a close fellowship with him, and now I step out of that light, and I get over here, and I start walking in darkness. And I, once I, I step out, once that sin, that seed of sin, just begins to grow in my heart, Suddenly, I'm walking in darkness, and I might be deluding myself, thinking I'm not. But yet, this, this, uh, this seed, as long as I allow that seed of sin to, to get a root in my mind and in my heart, and it turns into my attitudes, uh, then I will remain walking in darkness. And this is what he is now talking about. Okay, notice there in verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So here he's talking about a brother in Christ who loves another brother in Christ. If he truly is loving him, what's he doing? He's abiding in the light. That word abiding means I'm walking in the light of the Lord. I'm walking in obedience to his word. And so I can have peace and joy. And I'm producing the fruits of the spirit. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, verse 10. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. If I am walking in the love of Christ, allowing him to love through me, then it's going to keep me from stumbling. 
and, and having bad attitudes towards other fellow believers. This word hate, okay, if, you, if, if we go back to verse 9, see verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. And now look at verse 11, drop down to verse 11. But the one who hates his brother, there's the word hate again, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here he's, he's not talking about a Christian losing his salvation, but he's talking about uh, what what the, the emotion or the choice of hate can do to us. It, it puts us in the darkness. We start walking in, in the darkness. And uh, we want to see one illustration of this in Genesis chapter 4. If you'll turn to Genesis 4 with me, familiar story that when you were a child in Sunday school is maybe one of the first uh, stories you, you remember, you recall being taught. Genesis 4, verse 1, story of Cain and Abel. But let's read it together. Verse 1, Genesis 4. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to, her, uh, to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so it came about in the course of time, verse 3, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings, of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Suddenly he turned angry because notice that what is it about Cain's offering that isn't acceptable? Notice he doesn't say first fruits or, or the best of the best. You know, and, and, and also it, uh, the Lord may have been looking for a, um, a, a, an offering, a sacrifice of blood, an animal. But Cain, Cain just kind of, it, it's like taking something, you know, some of your things and going, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give this, Lord, I'll give you this. And it, it's really not much, but we act like it is. And we bring an offering to him and say, okay, Lord, well, I'll go to, I'll, I'll, I'll get involved in this ministry just once, you know, and, and then, but then that, that's it. So we give a little bit to the Lord. Oh, maybe I'll go to church. I'll, I'll try and get to church once a month. And then we give that to the Lord, a little something. But then there is what God is looking for is a 
giving the best we have. And that's what Abel did. He gave the best we have. But what happened in Cain's heart? God confronted him in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, in other words, get your heart straightened out. Sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. God knew all about what Cain was feeling and that he was angry at his brother. He was jealous of his brother because God accepted his offering. And so God's giving him a chance saying, you better deal with what's in your heart, Cain. Get that taken because that's sin crouching like a tiger at your door ready to pounce. So what happens? Of course, verse 8. And Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And there, of course, is the first murder. Do you see what happened? Cain's anger and bitterness towards his brother turned into physical violence and caused him to actually take his brother's life. And yet you and I, you know, we think of, uh, we, you know, we think of, of someone, something like this and say, I could never do something like that. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. Turn to Matthew 5 with me. What does Jesus say here? Matthew 5, 21. Matthew 5, 21. Jesus says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But now Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his who? What does that say there? Brother. Anyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or you worthless one, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. This is the Supreme Court of God. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, we're not going to try and explain all that, but what we do see is Jesus is saying here, you know, you talk about the old commandment, don't murder somebody, right? Thou shalt not commit murder. But Jesus is saying, you're just as guilty as a murderer if you've got anger and hatred in your heart. And that's what John is trying to say. He's getting across to, uh, to the saints here, to the family of God. He's trying to uh, get them to understand how crucial it is to deal with any bad attitudes we have towards another fellow believer. Turn back with me then quickly to 1 John. Let's go back to 1 John 2. What's interesting about this is the word hate. You see the word hate there? Yet he hates his brother. The word hate here. Now, when you think of the word hate, what do you think of? You think of Cain, 
you know, that kind of hatred. Ooh, I hate him, I could kill him. But here's something interesting about the word hate in the Greek. The Greek word for hate is meseo. Word meseo, which is translated every time John, it's translated in the English here, the word in English, hate. But John uses this same Greek word over and over again. When you see the word hate, it's meseo, this Greek word. But if you look at that, look up the meaning of that Greek word that we translate hate. It basically means having a preference for one thing over another. Or here is the, the shortest definition of this Greek word. To love Less. You get that? To love less. Wow. You mean this word hate means just, it, 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 it means to love less, love less something lesser than, than something else. That's what the word hate here means. So, and now that, that, that can involve all kinds of, uh, of things. You know, the worst kind of hate, uh, you know, vengeance, which turns to vengeance. And I want vengeance on, on this person who did me wrong and, and has hurt me and attacked me. And I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'll do anything to, to get even. Or it can simply mean my brother here, I, you know, I just don't, don't love him like I should. I don't, I love him less. And so less than then I love, you know, I love myself more than I love my brother or sister in Christ. Or they do something to me. And it may just, it may not have gone to f the full-blown idea of hatred. But just the idea that I, I'm, I'm loving that person less than I, than I should. I'm not loving them as Christ loved me. And when we realize that this, when John uses this word, he's encompassing all kinds of attitudes. So if I have a little malice in my heart, you know, some bitterness towards someone, and it sits in there, think about it right now. Is there somebody that comes to your mind that has brought bitterness to your heart? We've all had somebody think, yep. I remember, yeah, that I have that occasion. And as soon as that person pops into your head and you think about them, you, you just don't have good thoughts. Or you say, man, I hope I never run into them again or and another believer. There's another believer that, that maybe you, you knocked heads with and suddenly you're saying, I can't, I can't deal with this. And, and so there's, there's that seed of bitterness that sits in there which would fall into the category of hatred here. And John is saying, you got to deal with that. Because what happens? The one who hates, he goes on here, he says, the one who hates, he's not abiding in the light. The one, verse 11, the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has what? Blinded his eyes blinded his eyes notice three things about the believer who 
has this, quote, hate in their heart. He abides in darkness, he walks in darkness, and he walks in blindness without a goal or direction. Anybody ever hear of blind cave fish? Blind cave fish. This is, this is a great illustration from, from nature. Eyes and the brain power uh, are used to operate are, you know, uh, to work together, uh, but eyes and the brain power to operate them drain energy, okay? But energy is limited in lightless caves in the darkness where it would be better applied to our senses. So what happened to these, they're called cave fish. Fish that have been born or got into uh, into caves, and basically they're living in darkness. Researchers have found that the cave environments inhibit a protein in cave fish embryos, reducing eye growth just because they're living in darkness, swimming in darkness in these little ponds and pools in a cave. But that's not all. A new study revealed that they also trigger cellular machinery to add chemical tags that turn off the genes for growing eyes. That's what the darkness does. It's turning the fish blind. So cavefish go blind, but their DNA may not change. This, that's, just, that's just wild stuff. What, what he basically is saying, <laughs> there it is. There's a picture of the cavefish, the blind cavefish. Look at those eyes. Thank you, Greg. This wasn't prepared. He just pulled this up and found it. But yeah, what happens when they stay in darkness? And then I don't have time to go to another illustration because we're out of time. But another illustration of, of where two people decided to do, do some research and trial, and they went into a cave and spent days and days, like 120 days inside a cave in total darkness. And they came out almost insane. When they came out, they, they, they didn't know what day it was, what time, even though they, 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 they were all confused and it affected their mental state. That's what John is saying, too. If I'm holding bitterness and anger towards somebody in my heart and I don't deal with it, I'm not walking in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not walking in close fellowship with the Lord. And I'm going to be, have a, a miserable attitude if I don't deal with it. And God is saying today, Christian, through John, he's saying, there's that relationship, that brother or sister in Christ that maybe you have something against. Maybe you haven't forgiven them. And it's easy to hold unforgiveness, isn't it? It's so easy to do that. But as long as I'm holding unforgiveness, it's not going to be healthy for me. I'm going to I'm begin to walk in that darkness, and I stay in that darkness, and then I become spiritually more spiritually blind. And I don't begin to see God's plan for my life, and I lose perspective because I'm walking in that darkness darkness. Some of you may have heard this account. Leonardo da Vinci, when 
He commenced his work on the Last Supper. He had a violent argument with another fellow painter. And they were both supposedly believers. Leonardo was so bitter that he determined to paint the, en- the face of his enemy, the other artist, into the face of Judas on the Last Supper painting. How about that? And thus take his revenge by handing the man down in infamy and scorn in succeeding generations. So the face of Judas was therefore one of the first faces Leonardo da Vinci painted on the Last Supper. First one. Okay. So that, that was the first one he finished. And everyone could easily recognize it was the face of the painter whom he had the quarrel with. But then it came time for him to paint the face of Christ. Guess what? As hard as he tried, he couldn't make any progress. He tried to paint the picture of the face of Christ and he couldn't do it. Something seemed to hold him back and he was struggling. It seemed to baffle him and he got so frustrated. Why can't I paint the face of Jesus Christ? Finally, he came to the conclusion that the thing that was frustrating him was that in his heart and mind, he, he now thought, wait a minute, the face of my enemy I put on Judas. And so you know what he did? He went back and he changed the face of Judas. And he took off his, that, that, that uh, fellow painter's face He changed the face of Judas, and then he was able to resume his work on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at the painting, look how beautiful the face of the Lord Jesus is in the Last Supper painting. He was able to do that because what did he do? He realized, I have to let go of my bitterness. I cannot carry this. How am I going to paint the face of Christ? And... We must ask ourselves that this morning. How am I going to paint the image of Christ in my life if I have unforgiveness for another brother or sister in Christ? If I hold a grudge, if I hold that grudge, and I'm not going to let it go, what happens? The face of the Lord Jesus Christ in my mind and heart dims. And suddenly, I'm not seeing Jesus as I should, and Jesus isn't being seen in me. Let's ask the Lord to, to point out that area in our life where maybe our attitudes are wrong towards another fellow believer. And we need to change it right now if we are going to have God's blessing and be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord, dear Christian, Perhaps right now there is someone on your mind that the Lord has brought to your attention. And you realize that you haven't forgiven them. That there's that, there's that grudge, that bitterness that, that sits there. And you haven't dealt with it. Maybe that person is, isn't even alive anymore. But you still hold anger. And according to John, it falls into the category of hatred. Would you right now confess that sin?
to the Lord. Let's confess it now and call it what God calls it. And at this moment, say, Lord, I want to forgive. I want to release this person. I don't want to be chained by them anymore. I want to be free in my spirit so that I know that I'm walking in your light and not walking in darkness because of my attitudes towards that person. Lord, forgive me. I release that person. I forgive them. And Father, I am choosing to do this, that I might glorify you and then I might love my brother or sister. Even though I may not like what they did to me or what transpired. Father, give me the right attitude. Would you do that, Christian, right now? If you're here without Christ and never accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to accept him by faith right where you sit. You can pray a prayer like this. Just give your heart to Christ. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died for me on that cross and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. And I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads so bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again. You're a child of God. Your sin's been forgiven you. Heavenly Father, <coughs> thank you so much, Lord, for any who have accepted Christ today. May they have the assurance that they are now held in the palm of your hand and no one can pluck them out. Father, I pray that any decisions made, Lord, by your children today concerning another believer in the family, Father, I, I pray that those decisions might be real, those commitments. And help each one of us, Lord, to be able to release and let go and forgive. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.